Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we've had thus far. And let me invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word, and you can turn with me again uh, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you, and if you don't have one at home, you can write your name in it, take it home with you. It's our gift to you, and you can uh, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 40 in there. And uh, what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, we've been taking a little bit of a summer road trip, uh, really glimpses of God's glory, and we have seen some amazing things as, as we have done so. And we really haven't even made it out of Isaiah chapter 40 yet, and uh, have seen just with astounding wonder the goodness and the grace and the power of our great God. And for many of us, we've been on trips before where we have gone places, maybe you've had experiences where they are just entirely life-changing where you have seen or beheld something and it just captured your amazement and it changed the way you view everything else. You went home a different person because of what you saw and what you beheld and how much more so should that be the case really every time we come into God's Word. Every time we behold the full majestic splendor of who He is, that we should see a difference in our lives and that we realize in the middle of unpacking all of it that we needed these glimpses of His glory far more than we ever thought we really did. So let me encourage you, grab your copy of God's Word, read with me again as we come into this passage in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to pick up in verse 27 and read with me down through the end of the chapter in verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes. Lord, as we slow down and ponder not only the wondrous display of your glory that we have seen in Isaiah chapter 40, but Father, that we would see the application of the wondrous display of your glory in our own lives individually. Father, we have all come in here with many needs that are distinctive to our own lives. And Father, we pray that in this moment now, by your Spirit, And work through your word, Father, direct our eyes to behold you in all of your glory. And Father, may we come away amazed at who you are, amazed at Jesus, hopeful in him. Lord, in all things and in every way, may our eyes be fixed upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's always helpful in thinking of context and where we are. And really, we've seen this in Isaiah chapter 40 itself and thinking about the really reality of exile that is looming over the people of Israel at the time. And then in the middle of Isaiah 40, really at the outset of Isaiah chapter 40, there's these reminders that even with the reality that exile is coming, there is comfort and hope in the truth of God. And then, of course, the unpacking of the grandeur of the glory of God about who can measure the waters in the hollow of His hand or mark off the heavens with a span. And we talked about last week just the incomparable glory of who 
He is in comparison with the idols and the trivial things that are so often worshipped in our lives. And as we come to the conclusion of Isaiah chapter 40, in so many ways we are seeing the application of the grandeur of the glory of God. And so it starts off with questions that we need to answer as we answer the inquiry of our glorious God. What difference does it make to know Him? Because we can go through all the fun of doing all the math and all the multiplication and talking all these crazy numbers that we've never even heard of with 24 zeros and all these other things. But if it doesn't make a difference in your individual life, then we've missed the point. What was going on with the people in their moment, in their time, as they are thinking of the looming reality of exile, as things in their society were just going from bad to worse, in many cases because of their own unbelief, and then in other cases because God was at work in bigger ways and in the middle of all of that. God says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? speaking to professing believers, speaking to those who profess to be the people of God, as they were saying, and really even the ways in which the verb tenses are laid out here, that they were saying these things repeatedly. It was constantly on their mouths and in their minds. Why is this happening? My way must be hidden from the Lord. My right must be disregarded from God. Why say what you are saying? When you know what you know. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. They're saying he doesn't see. How could he? We know all these glorious things of him, but how could he see me in this circumstance and me still be here? You ever thought something like that? If we're honest, we've all been there, haven't we? How could this possibly be the case? My way must be hidden from the Lord. And we all know that assumptions are terribly dangerous because it assumes that we know everything and He doesn't. The very question itself betrays bad theology, doesn't it? He, there's no way He could have a purpose for what's going on in my life right now. Could He? Does He? My way is hidden from the Lord. And we all walk through times where it feels hard, and it is hard, and there are difficulties. But do we know better of our God that He is at work? Because it's so easy in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the sort of looming realities that we we feel like are right around the corner, or maybe we know good and well are right around the corner. It's common for us to just be stuck, staring at our own circumstances, with our heads down, looking at the mess, wondering what in the world happened here? How could this possibly be the case? How could he know about this and let this happen? Or even we might say, my right is disregarded by my God. My judgment Or as we might say it on a road trip, as we think about this time and and walking on or, or going on a road trip together through the grandeur of the glory of God, you might hear it from the back seat, that's not fair. You ever heard that one before? This doesn't suit me. I don't like this. The fact of the matter is, if God were merely just, all of us would be condemned. If it was all justice, none of us would have any hope. But our God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
So how dare we look, it up, look up at him and say, my right must be disregarded by my God. Certainly, certainly he must have missed what was going on here. Maybe he's ignoring me. And so we are found in this passage of Scripture, as we think broadly and with such splendor of the grandeur of the glory of God, and then we look into our own lives, God is asking us, why are you saying what you're saying when you know what you know? How can we know Isaiah chapter 40 and say, does he care? How can we read even verse 26 right before this? He who brings out the host by number, talking about the stars, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his night, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And we can see that and know that and have this testimony before us every single night and then look into our own lives and say, there's no way he cares about me. He must, he must not be paying attention. Why do you say that, oh, brothers and sisters? And see, what we see what in the need behind all of this is a renewed application of the grandeur of God's glory in our own lives. Could it be that He is discipling us? Could it be that He is leading us closer to Himself? Could it be that He's taking us through these hard circumstances on purpose that He might draw us closer to Himself? Could it be? Or to say it another way, The beginning of verse 28 says this, have you not known? Have you not heard? It's a good question, isn't it? Or good questions. Have we not known? Do we know better? Well, we know the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's Psalm 19.1. We remember from last week, Romans 1.20 speaks of the fact that creation has displayed the reality of the Creator God and that all are held accountable just by that fact alone. So just living a human life, we ought to know better. But God has been much more clear than just that, hasn't He? He's made Himself known by His Word. And so we're confronted with His glory, convicted over our sin. We ought to be humbled before Him, realizing our need for redemption, realizing our need for hope, and realizing He's the only one who can give it. Have you not known? You think about the history of the people of Israel. Have you not known this? Have you not known that God displayed His glory in the fact that He called a man out of the middle of nowhere and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you? And guess what? Did He do it? He did. Have you not known? I mean, have we not known? Have we forgotten about the Exodus and the wonder of God's redeeming love? That even as people are crying out, being, How can you see us in this circumstance? And then God's, God saw and God knew. That's the end of Exodus chapter 2. And then all throughout the plagues and everything that's going on there, constantly being reminded that this is to display God's glory broadly. Have you not known? What we are being reminded of is that we ought to root our lives in the objective truth of God and not our subjective experience. To connect what we know of God from His Word to how you feel your life is going. 
Because when we lift our eyes out of the circumstances and behold our God, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and see him for who he is, then you see him and you trust him for salvation and you look to him for hope and you look to him for comfort and you know his redemption and his reconciliation and his adoption and the comfort that's found in him alone. And you see it all displayed in pristine glory in Jesus Christ. Perfectly righteous, crucified on the cross for our sin and risen from the dead. We ought to find rest in who we know. But not only does it say, have you not known? He also says, have you not heard? Heard what? Heard the declarations of His glory? Heard the reality of our own sin, which is a reminder of our need for atonement? Heard of how He provides atonement and all the ways in which He rescues and redeems and displays His glory in saving people that do not deserve it? And then He gives us stories to tell. And so that as we live this life and we go on these road trips together and we have all these conversations and all these interactions in the hallway, they're not just sort of passing encounters. They're testimonies of what God has done in our lives. Have you not heard? Have you not heard what God has done according to His Word? And have you not heard what God has done in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Who are we listening to here? We have to answer this inquiry because it's not just some of us who are guilty of selective hearing. Maybe you've felt the fun of this on a road trip before. Make some comment. Maybe when you were a child, you know. You're asking for something, maybe you really did have to go to the bathroom and you weren't just looking to get out of the car. You say, I gotta go. Or mom and dad's driving the car like, "Mm mm-hmm. Five hours later, did you hear me? I'm about to die back here. Like, you never told me that. Like, what do you mean? We had this conversation five hours ago. Can't you see my face? How often are we like that with the Lord God Himself, though? Exercising selective hearing, only hearing what we want to hear, that it must be all good news for us, it must be all easy, it must be all comfort, it must be all this or all that, instead of looking and beholding the grandeur of God who is drawing us close to Himself, even in the midst of all of the difficulty. Are we avoiding what we actually need to hear? Have you not heard? And we are compelled to answer him. Has the glory of God revealed made any difference in your life? Has it shaped the way in which you view your circumstances? Do you need to know again? Do you need to hear again? Do you need to be reminded again? Look at how good our God is to do that very thing. Because not only does he call us to answer the inquiry that he gives. He then sets forth to tell us, be renewed by faith in the everlasting God. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 28. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. These are things we should have known and should have heard, but he repeats them yet again. The Lord, he's using a specific name here now. This is Yahweh, often translated Jehovah. This is the name of God that he has revealed himself as his proper name in the Old Testament. It is the name itself is a derivative of the Hebrew form for I am. He is the eternal one. He is the one who has always existed. 
He is the one who was and is and is to come. And so just as we can see the significance of the revelation of this in Exodus chapter 3, you can also see the significance of it when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. As we see and feel the weight of our own needs, look to him, know him, listen to him. The Lord is the everlasting God. He is without beginning, without end, and without succession. He has already stood the test of time. And it's as though we're being compelled here to think through, have we really understood who it is that we have beheld here in Isaiah chapter 40? Do we really understand who it is that is the God of all comfort? Do we really understand who it is that is our shepherd as we saw even in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11? Have we pondered these things enough? He has already endured all the ages. He has already outlasted all of the competition. He is unchangeable in his character and everlasting in every way, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his justice, and in his justification. Do we see him for who he is, the creator of the ends of the earth, the omnipotent maker of all things? He creates out of nothing. He doesn't need to go to the supply house like we do. He doesn't need the material. He just speaks and there's life. That's true physically. That's also true spiritually, isn't it? He creates out of nothing. So you can think to the ends of the earth, all the plants and all the animals and all the fish and all the molecules... All those things, all the people who are at the ends of the earth, all of those image bearers who need to know him and trust in Jesus Christ, all of that. He says he's the creator of the ends of the earth. Why does that matter? Think about it from the perspective of people about to go into a foreign land in exile under the rule and reign of people that terrify them. God is telling them, there is no place where you will wind up that is unfamiliar to me. Isn't that comforting? The road that you're on that feels so uniquely awful sometimes, God is not unfamiliar with that. In fact, we know He is our good shepherd. And He walks with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. And therefore, I will fear no evil. You are with me. The creator of the ends of the earth who comforts us with His presence no matter where we are. Has Has our way been hidden from him? Has he disregarded our right? Or have we misunderstood him? See the application of the glory of God in the midst of our own lives. Who are we trusting? Maybe we need renewal. Be reminded, middle of verse 28, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. See him as indelibly mighty. Life makes us tired, doesn't it? We've got all these responsibilities and all these things that we need to do. We've got the sort of need-to-do list, and then we've got the kind of need-to-do list, and then the, if I get the kind of need-to-do list done, I'll get to this. But we've got these lists everywhere, and so it's like weariness after weariness after weariness. We just wear out. We get tired. We go on vacation, and we come back. We're in, we'll all say, i got to go to work to get a, break, a vacation. 
right? Life just wears us out. We get tired. We're frail. We are, we are a, a not a renewable resource in and of ourselves. Not long into anything that we do, we find ourselves looking for a lazy boy in a nap. But our everlasting God does not faint or grow weary. He does not tire out. The creator and sustainer of all things who cares, who, has, who listens to an endless array of prayers and questions and needs, who has more responsibility than anything we could even come close to possibly imagining, has never once had any depletion of his power or strength. What an amazing God we have! He's not, which means he's not weary, not only in the general sense, he does not faint or grow weary. He's not weary in gasping after exertion. He never feels like us after, like how we feel after mowing the grass. But it also means he's never weary of us. Despite all of our sin and all of our wandering and all of our prodigal tendencies and all these ways in which we'll say, oh, I'll I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and make all these promises that we know good and well we probably won't keep and turn the other way. He still, with, with steadfast love that endures forever, reaches down into our lives and says, come on back, son. Come on back, daughter. What a God we have. He never looks at us and says, you again? His understanding is unsearchable. So he is intimately knowable and yet not fully comprehensible. Like a father with his children, oftentimes he just looks at us and says, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust that I know better than you do. You're going to have to trust that I can't explain all of this to you right now. You're just going to have to trust me as your father. We cannot comprehend nor could we even handle everything that he knows. But it's amazing to see how he displays his unsearchable understanding. I was reminded of this last weekend as we went out on gather and go visits. You know, we were preparing to go out and, you know, we meet out here on 4.30 every other Sunday afternoon and we've got groups of people and so you never know who's going to show up. And so as we get in there, we've got different places that we're planning on going and everything else. And so we start to break off into teams and figure out who's going to go where. And so we eventually break off into teams and everybody disperses and goes on their merry way. It was amazing to see how God had providentially prepared every single individual member of every group that went to every place because they were needed for specific conversations with specific people at a specific time. Conversations about the comfort of the Lord and and His goodness and His grace and sustaining just broken-hearted people. Conversations about the glory of God and salvation in Christ. Conversations in which there's no way you could have thought about the connections between this person and this person, and yet God had it all planned out ahead of time. It's amazing to watch and to see. He knows everything. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows how all things connect even individually across your own life. Meredith and I were having a conversation about this the other day. Because I remember as a kid, whenever we put Sam to bed, especially, you know, one of us is in there and we're trying to, you know, read to him and sing to him a little bit. And, and so one of the songs that I just naturally go back to is Majesty. It's just in there. And there's a reason that it's in there. 
Because when I was a child, my older siblings were already real involved with the youth group where we were, but we were asked to go and be a part of a church plan, and so we went to go be a part of the church plan, and God bless my mom, she was uh, volunteered to be the keyboard player, and she could play about three hymns, and one of them was Majesty. We sang that thing every Sunday. I can remember standing there in the middle of that daycare lobby singing Majesty in Oviedo, Florida. But I didn't know at that moment that God was taking that song about the majesty of the reign and rule of King Jesus and sowing it deep into my life because there would come times in my life where I was dreadfully afraid of what was going on around me. Near about to the point of tears. And God would bring that song to mind and I would start to sing majesty. Singing of the kingly rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And thinking of how that calmed my fears. Reminding of his rule and his reign. And nothing can stop him. And his understanding is unsearchable. And how beautiful it is to think of how he took what seems like just a a mess of circumstances. And is allowing me to sow that into the lives of my own children. When you're afraid. Sing of the rule and reign and majesty of King Jesus. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows, our, he knows your need before even you do. Be renewed in your need for Him. We do not have all of the answers. He is our answer. He says, He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, He increases strength. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. He gives power to the faint. As you go through your life circumstances and you cry out, I need help, through faith in Him, He gives help. He gives power to the faint. But did you notice, it does not say He gives power to the arrogant. God has not called us to swagger through life as if the world is a better place because we're here. God has called us to walk in humility before Him. To admit our weakness and admit our need for Him. God is not giving power to those who are arrogant and who are sufficient in their own eyes. He gives power to the faint. And if we're honest, if you're in any way honest about the reality of your own life, this has to be you. Society brings us to this point where we're just like, what is going on? Interactions with people sometimes bring us to that point. What is going on? Struggles in the midst of family, dealing with circumstances that are too much for you to bear as you come before the Lord that you know is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never faints and he never grows weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Go to him who gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Admit you're powerless. Come before him for the first time and say, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. But it doesn't just stop there. Christian maturity is not getting to where you've got it all figured out and you can just pat yourself on the back everywhere you go. 
Christian maturity is an ever-increasingly reliance upon His strength by His grace given to us. So that as we think about our growth and our sanctification, even as we think about being glorified in salvation through Him after you die, and because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, though you die, yet shall you live if you believe in Him. Even in that moment, that has nothing to do with our power. That's all Him. Admit you have no strength and be strengthened by the Lord. Be renewed in your own weakness that you may enjoy His strength. Isn't that the testimony of 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He's praying, God, remove this. Remove this circumstance from me. Remove this affliction from me. And God says, no. Jesus tells him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. If that's true for the Apostle Paul, is that not also true for us? Isn't this the same Jesus who says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest? Behold our God. He says, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. These are like guys in the prime of their life. Which when we think back of the prime of our lives, it's full of ego, isn't it? Thinking back, oh yeah, I remember when I had, you know, we start to tell stories about our, you know, whether it's sports prowess or whatever else the case may be. You think you all, and and it carries on with us for a little while, doesn't it? And then life happens. Maybe when you were a kid and all of a sudden the football coach is like, all right, now it's time for two a days, or maybe it's time for three a days. And you're like, okay, it's time for me to admit I can't do this. As you're crawling off the field, throwing up in the corner. Or maybe you, got a li- you had to get a little older and you were trying to relive your glory days in rec league basketball and you go for the rebound against a guy who's 10 years younger than you and you blow your knee out. Like, interesting. Or maybe it took a little longer and you had to pick up that box and carry it down the basement and what used to be an easy chore turned out to give you a hernia and a slip disc in the back. Eventually, life will humble you. That's God's good design. We need the reminders that we need more than ourselves. Every bit of frailty in our lives, every bit of the reminders of our own weakness and our frailty is a call to trust in Him. Whom have I in heaven but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Renewal comes from turning away from our own arrogance and self-sufficiency and looking to Him. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. They who wait for the Lord. What are you doing when you're waiting for somebody? You trust them. And the kid's sitting outside the front of the school and they're waiting for their parents to come and get them. What are they doing? They're sitting out there with the assurance, they're coming to get me. Trusting them enough, they're going to keep their word. They're going to keep their promise. How much more so with God himself? You think about this from the perspective of the people walking into exile. Will they be faithful through this? 
Can we wait for him to bear out in this what we never thought even possible? Can he possibly do through this more than we even think is recognizable in our own lives? Will you wait for the Lord? Will you wait for him who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance? Is he worth waiting for? Because we will wait for what we think is worth it. That's why you'll wait in a 20-minute Chick-fil-A line while Arby's next door is empty. It's worth the wait. When we know it's worth the wait, we'll trust the quality of what we're going to receive. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Look at this promise. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. He's the renewal of our strength. That in Christ, by faith, He is doing what we have no strength to do. When life feels like all descent and no amount of flapping our wings is giving us any lift, and all it is is we are going down, what ought to drag us down in Christ, He lifts us up. The picture is not us wearying ourselves out, flapping our wings by our own power. It is resting in the updraft of His grace that picks us up. Isn't that an amazing picture? Because so much of our lives feels that way. It's like it's just going downhill. We joke about it all the time. We throw 40-year 40, you know, birthday parties for people, and we, we dress in all black. We're like, it's all downhill from here. We feel this all the time. We joke about it all the time, and yet we cry in the corner about it all the time as well because it really does hurt. Listen. In Christ, it's not all downhill from here. And when we think about being mounted up in the wings like eels, we're being drawn ever closer to he who sits above the circle of the earth. We're being drawn ever closer to himself. It's not about us having everything easy and laid out for us. It's about him drawing us close by his strength. When everything else in our lives should pull us away from him by his grace, he draws us near. So that we would Mount up with wings like eagles. We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. What do you do when you're weary and fainting? You got your head down. What are you doing when your life is too heavy for you to carry and you feel the weight of it? You got your head down. You feel beat down by life. Beat down by the hardships. Maybe even beat down by your own sin and the consequences of it. What are we being called to do? Stop trying to do this all on your own. And be renewed by faith in the everlasting God. Trust in Him. And by His strength we will run and not weary even as we run uphill and against the wind. And by his strength we shall walk and not faint, even if we're walking into Babylon, through Babylon, and back from Babylon. As we walk through the unknowns and walk through all the obstacles, as we walk upstream by his strength and for his glory, we will not faint. By the grace of our God who gives us what belongs to him. What an amazing God we have. 
What difference has the glory, the grandeur of the glory of God made in your own life? As you think about the details of what you have carried in here today. In some measure, every single one of us need Him to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. There is some aspect of everybody's life in here where you have been wearing yourself out trying to do it all on your own instead of trusting in the Lord. But for some in here, the situation is at its worst. Because you have worn yourself out trying to save yourself. Trying to think that you can figure it all out. Maybe you've even heard the declarations. Okay, yeah, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Big deal. Hold on. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have willfully and woefully by our nature, by our actions, by our thoughts, and by our mouths sinned against the God who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. The creator of the ends of the earth, we have looked at him in his face and said, I don't need you, I'm going to do this my own way. I know what you've said, I've heard what you've had to say, and I don't want it. I trust in myself. And maybe you're here this morning and you have, you have been worn out by your refusal of him time and time and time again. And you realize, I don't deserve anything of him. Listen to the glory of God. Who though you may have cast him aside a thousand times before, he still calls you to himself today. He still sent his son to live in perfect righteousness, to be tempted in every way as we are and yet be without sin, to go to the cross and to endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, that all who trust in Jesus, crucified and three days later resurrected from the grave, will have forgiveness and everlasting life. One day we're going to have to stand before this everlasting God and give an account. Will your account be trusted in what you provided or will your account be I did it all on my own the distinction is eternal make sure you get this right make sure you humble yourself before the Lord and trust in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for you ask yourself this morning What difference has the grandeur of the glory of God made in your life? Once that question rattles around for a little while, respond to Him in faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. You are amazing. Father, for all of us who are believers in here, who are trying to make it all on our own, knowing good and well, That we need to admit our own weakness again. Father, forgive us. And Father, may we enjoy the sweet, uplifting power of your goodness and grace in our hearts and lives together. Bring comfort. Bring hope. Lift up our eyes to behold you in all of your grandeur, in all of your glory, that we would be amazed that you loved us so much you sent your son to die and rise for us. Father, may everything about what we do with our lives be a reflection of our worship of you. And Father, we pray also for those who are here who have never trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Father, we pray that you would bring 
an overwhelming sense of conviction of sin. That they would turn away from their sin and simply lift their eyes to you and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. And Lord, that in believing they would have forgiveness and everlasting life in Jesus' name. In all things and in every way, Lord, may our lives display that we have known, that we have heard, and that we believe. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.